Betty, um, welcome back to London. Thank you, Ed. It's great to see you. And um, uh, thank you for your touching performance in this. Oh, thank you so this much. This fragile, lovely piece. And for your immaculate English accent, I, oh. I was so impressed. Oh. Wow, I'm really uh, flattered that, complimented that you would say that. It's, I, it's hardly scrupulous, but um, I'm doing the best. I think it's pretty scrupulous. I, I work on it. I listen to my dialect teachers, my coaches' tapes, and the, fortunately my, my other two mad women in the show and a couple of the other actors in the show correct me when I go off. Um, which I am prone to do on any given occasion, especially if something weird happens on stage. I immediately, you know, when you fall back into like yeah. survival mode, your own natural. Of course. And Texas, in Texas, our R's are a trap, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, certain vowel sounds that we just don't, we don't do that. I had like, Patricia Routledge with me mm -hmm. on the opening night, uh -huh. and she was hugely impressed. Really? Because it is, oh my God, you know, and she excellent. was listening like a. That's amazing. Hawk. Well, they've been really good. Um, Annabelle Leventon and, and uh, Rebecca Locke, you know, my two mad women companions, are. Um, <laughs> they're beautiful actresses, they and they speak so beautifully, and and so they're constantly correcting me. And Rebecca's like, "You need, to, darling, you need to keep your your L's. You have a lazy L, and you need to like, you know, keep your uh, your uh, my S are a problem. Like when you say men." And we say men, you yeah, know, I and see. when Makes it into we say when, and then those silly R's. And so, I'm, I, you know, my, you should see my script, it looks like. <laughs> You've pretty much cracked it, I think. Oh, and, thank you. I mean, was this show, Betty, on your radar before Gillian came to you? And yeah, said, actually, for years, people have written me and, and friends have said, you know, you really should do Dear World. And I wasn't very familiar with it. <clears throat> I knew of some of the music. Um, and then a few years ago, some people sent me, I think, the original script. Uh, no, a reworked script, um, saying that they wanted to produce it. And then nothing came of it, um, as so often happens, you know. Um, but then Jillian and I have stayed in touch since 1982. She's a really important person to me. Um, when I you know, was a teenager growing up in Texas... I love the musical theater, which my mother introduced me to when I was 11. And I had this kind of vision that I was going to sing on Broadway And when I was 13. Mm -hmm. I had a really clear idea of what I was going to do in the world. Once we discovered that my voice was, my mother had been a singer-dancer. And when I was, I was, had always sung in church choir, but they always put me in the back row and said, blend in, blend in, you know. <laughs> So when I discovered the musical theater, I realized, oh, I can do this, you know. And fortunately, there were these wonderful teachers in Fort Worth that I saw that I got to study with, that had been uh, Bob Fosse dancers, settled in Fort Worth and became my mentors and my teachers. Um, prior to that, I'd studied dance with my aunt, who was mm -hmm. a dance teacher from the time I was three, and my mother, as I said, was a singer dancer uh, prior to uh, marrying my father. Anyway, these guys helped me understand that my voice was a unique voice. Helped my mother and my, and she. My mother became this stage mother that they just kind of put all of her energy into my classes and having me perform all the time from the time I was eleven. So I was a, became a professional by the time I was fifteen, a professional actor. But. <clears throat> What, what, what it's a very distinctive sound, it's your a, voice. I mean, I could recognize it 
you know, there aren't many voices you can recognise instantly, and yours is certainly one. Oh, Very you. high belt. Yeah. I mean, there's a few the of us that, of... that have that. You know, it's it's definitely a gift that uh, high belt thing. But what I was telling you is, I became this ardent fan of the musical theatre from age 11, and I became aware of Gillian Lynn when I was like around 14, and her work in War of the Grease Paint and the Anthony Newley, who Anthony Newley was, and Gillian Lynn's association with him, and then her work in um, How to Succeed in Business, and that she was this kind of darling in the musical theater, you know. And, and so when I met her, she was one of the great musical theater icons to me, you know, along with Andrew, of course, Lord Weber, mm. and Trevor Nunn. And so I was so thrilled to get to be in Cats and to work with these people. And and Gillian, well, she was 56 at the time, and she was the, this point of inspiration for me, you know, a role model. I was like, when I grow up, I want to be like Gillian Lynn, you know, she's so, so amazing. Mm. <clears throat> and she really helped me so much. And the experience in Cats of playing Grisabella really brought me into my potential as an actress singer. Yeah, because it's not just a one song role, right. is it? It's, yeah, well, it's dramatic, a you know, there. it's a dramatic role. Yeah. And that song is a gem, you know, I, I consider it the jewel of my collection of music. And, um, so, but it took a lot to learn how to deliver it because the job assignment was stop the show, and they knew that they could stop the show with that song. But I'd never had a job assignment like that. I'd stopped shows before, but only by chance. I didn't know that there was a methodology to that, you know. <laughs> and um, I didn't. I certainly didn't know what the formula was. And yeah, yeah. so it took it took about three months for me to really get that down, you know, and, and learn how to do that. But having learned in that process, which was very complicated, it was a very complicated and beautiful process that I was really guided by Jillian and Trevor and Andrew. Um, after I did that, I knew how to work. I was like, oh, I know what to do. And the, for me, I my goal as a young actor was to become um a very powerful communicator, a singing actor, if you will. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be as good an actress as I was a singer. Mm-hmm. And um, so I studied and studied. And my favorite actresses were Jenna Rollins and Kim Stanley and Maureen Stapleton and um, um, Geraldine yeah. Page. Yeah. And the really authentic actresses that when I would watch them on film or see them in theater, you know, that they were so, it was as though they were the real people, you know, they were living the role and it wasn't acted, it was fully experienced and so I wanted to be able to do that and I wanted to be able to do that in song and the musical theater prior to my generation of musical theater ladies um, or actors if you will was not prone to that kind of realism Um, it was called the musical comedy originally and then it became musical theater over time and then composers like Andrew and like Stephen Sondheim gave artists an opportunity to do more serious material that spoke from the soul Mm -hmm. and um, or or, you know a monologue song for example which of course Sondheim is brilliant at which allows the actor-singer to actually have a vital experience within the song itself. So there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to the song. And the actor starts in one place and goes, what I call a monologue song, where you go through a questioning process of what your dilemma is, your character's dilemma, and you 
actually experience it with the audience and come out the other side to a new awareness. Mm. That's the most wonderful experience mm. one can have as a singing actor, is mm. that kind of material. So anyway, um, after Cats, I stayed in touch with Jillian all these years, 30 some odd years, and um, she would come see things that I would do, and we corresponded every year, and she, we were constantly talking about looking for a project to do together. A couple of things came and went, and they, we never pulled, pulled it together. And then two years ago, she called me about Dear World, and she said, we're going to do Dear World. And I said, okay, that sounds great. And then a year ago, our mutual agent, Jean Diamond, called and, uh, me in Texas and said, Jillian needs to meet with you in New York. So I flew to New York in February a year ago mm-hmm. and um, sat down with her for three and a half hours and said, you know, I'm in. Let's go. Let's do this. And mm-hmm. so um, they, uh, you know, started negotiating and, and here we are, you know. And it's, it's been such a long process. It's been so exciting to be back here. I love London so very, very much. And, you know, just to be here, it's like, it's kind of a fairy tale. I'm like, it's, the show's a fairy tale. And so, you know, being here is again, yeah. I was like, oh, because there's been so much pre-planning and so much, you know, dreaming about this for so long and that it's actually taken place. And well, particularly in the form that Jerry wanted it to, you know, he always said he had this line about he wanted it to be a boutique on a, an avenue full of superstars, uh, superstores, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, the idea of it being a small, fragile mm-hmm. piece. And um, here it is in a theatre of, what, 300 With this seats. beautiful poetic vision that Gillian has for the show, which I just think is yes. so exquisite. Yes. To me, it's like performance art. You know, some it's been criticized for various and sundry reasons, all of which I think are completely absurd, like the word whimsy which Jillian explains to me over here means something different. But the actual definition of whimsy is unexpected, mm. do you know? And it's like, mm. what could be more delightful than that which is unexpected? And, and it certainly you know, is. And it, and it goes, it moves like a dream. It moves like a poem. Like if you read a piece of poetry, it's it's the elements of surprise in poetry that are lovely. And the, the, what what poetry in evokes in the reader, right? Or so... This is a very evocative show, I think, and and it's full of surprises, and it's full of every quality of human emotion. It's very, very, very funny and very touching as well. Very touching. You know, and it's not one thing or another, and it's certainly not predictable musical theater, which one could say, well, what is predictable musical theater? I think there's very little good musical theater these days. Jerry Herman gets Mm. a bit of a bad deal sometimes from people for, um, I mean, I once spoke to Lansbury about, because who's known for the Sondheim work she's done, as well Mm. as the two big shows she did for Jerry Herman. Mm. Um, And she made the point that, you know, when Jerry Herman as a composer lyricist is at his very best, and there are two wonderful ballads in this show, Mm -hmm. but those ballads show him with the truth of the the lyric. Um, They're exquisite. what, what What a really quite sophisticated man he is that he isn't always given credit for being I don't yeah. think well and then the genius of the writing of the tea, mad uh, the, the mad woman's tea party mm. um, that's hilarious I mean how did he write that we're, we're, that we're singing three different songs yeah. at the same time and yeah. they fit together it's really remarkable touch of Gilbert remarkable. And Sullivan almost in it's, there that's genius that yeah. bit yeah. you know it's yeah. just hilarious 
I've probably seen you um, more times than you can imagine. Um, oh, really? I even saw your Mama Rose at the paper. Oh, wow. Playhouse. You've seen it all then. That, you know, and uh, I saw Promises, Promises like four times when I was in, in my teens mm. at the Prince of Wales. And uh, I loved that show. Betty. Yeah, I did too. I loved um, it. I mean, that was your first visit to yeah, London. Yeah, it was. Big gig for your first visit. Yeah, and every time I come back here, I like contemplate that time for me because I was just so naive. I was 22 years old. I'd done one Broadway show for seven months that I got my first day in New York City, which was, you know, originating Martha Jefferson in 1776. You got it on your first day? In yeah, the... my wow. first day in the city. That's a good and then, Yeah, it was fantastic. And then seven months later, I was here starring in Promises, Promises. And, you know, it's just so weird looking back at it like, those producers, David Merrick was the American producer, of course, and the British producers here. They just flew me over here and put me in a hotel, and nobody looked out for me. I was 22, and I knew nothing. Wow. What, nothing. How did you cope with... with I don't with even the... know how I coped. You know, I, I remember my dresser looking out for me a bit, and, but I was so naive, and so my life was just doing that show. It was it. And oh, well, I... That I had the wherewithal to do that, and the gumption, and the, you know, it's like... That's pretty astonishing. All on my own, you know. Well, it was exciting. As soon as I heard that voice in that show, it was it was exciting, and I was a huge Backrack fan anyway. Me too. Me I mean, too. there's there's an original voice if ever there was yeah, one. That beautiful. quirky, unpredictable. And how David's lyrics too. Yeah, brilliant. And, there and Neil some, Simon's book. Oh, it Michael Bennett's choreography. Of force, isn't it? Whatever happened to the album? Because I had the LP. Of the London cast with you. I think they re-released it not long ago. I've got to get hold of it. Yeah, I I, I know they did. I think it was a limited edition or something. I've got to get hold of that because it's such a favourite piece of mine. Mm -hmm. Look at the people that were in it, apart from yourself. Donna McKechnie and eventually Julia McKenzie. uh, Tony Roberts. Tony Roberts. uh, No, um, uh, and every time you hear the vamp of I'll Never Fall in Love Again, you, you... it's the minute the melody comes in, you just, it's just like an old friend. Mm-hmm. And even then, it seems so familiar. Yeah. It's a hit song, if ever there was one. Truly, really, yeah. Now, two absolute meals for you as roles. We, I mentioned Mama Rose, which, of course, is a great acting role mm. as well. But Sunset Boulevard, where, mm. um, if I may say, I thought um, you were just wonderful in Thank that. You. And, Thank and you. you know, I saw. I think I saw three people in the role, and I'm not going to say who the others were, but I thought you were wonderful. It seemed to fit, be such a good fit. Now, Andrew Lloyd Webber is, he's a throwback to an era. Nobody writes like that anymore. Mm. That I wish he was of... still writing some new shows. I love his work. It is special, isn't that it? Too, I thought Sunset was one of the greatest musicals I've ever, ever been a part of. And working for him is, besides as a composer, which is, he's amazing, um, he's a wonderful producer, mm-hmm. and he takes care of every element of the production with such care. He he understands more than almost, well, except for Cameron, I guess, Cameron McIntosh, almost more than any other producer that the project is only as good as the weakest link. Every project ri- never rises to the strongest link. Mm-hmm. It fails at the level of the weakest mm-hmm. link, regardless of who else is on the team. And accordingly, every show Andrew does, every element in every job category is the best possible person, the best possible work available. And it's just so lovely 
to work for him because everything is taken care of and you can just concentrate on your job position mm. <laughs> instead of worrying about all yeah. the other stuff too he's very um, he's very fond of that show I know it's and, a great um, show um, I mean I think Love Never Dies was probably the last of the big shows he'll write mm. I just have that feeling he's working on something at the moment about well, the perfumer I hope, affair I hope and, you're wrong I hope oh, he well. writes them so do I, because, yeah. as I say, nobody's writing like that anymore. He's brilliant. It's kind of Ivan Novello, Richard Rogers, that whole kind of... Mm. Uh, and Viennese opera Passionate, too. luxurious music. Yes, yeah. yes, really is. Yeah. Um, another show that didn't work here that I never saw you in was The Mystery of Edwin Drood, which I'm very fond of as a piece. I, I love it's a that clever, show. clever show. Why wouldn't it work here? That's so it, weird. It, it didn't work here, I think, because Ernie Wise, who they had playing the Master of Ceremonies, mm. was a stand-up comedian, worked with Eric Morecambe. They were a famous double act. And he wasn't used to working with script. Oh. He was one of those people that shone when he was doing his thing. And it needed that kind of anchor mm. in the show. It was a bad piece of casting. Weird. But um, again, I wanted to do it here. I wish they'd brought me over for oh, it. Oh, yeah. That was so much fun. I love that show. That was, I can truly say, of all my work experiences, that was the most fun ever. Re- really? Yeah. The most fun ever. How did you all cope with the alternate ending? <laughs> it was a blast. I mean, the cast was just amazing. I guess part of it was that we did it initially in the park that summer. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, at the Delacorte Theater and the New York Shakespeare Festival presents, the public theater presents it in the park. And just, it was an amazing cast, and, uh, you know, Wilfred Leach was our director, and Graziella Daniela was our, Danielle was our brilliant choreographer, and this is an awesome group, and we had so much fun. Mm. And we did it, you know, for the two months in the park, and then we were moved to Broadway, and I only did it for another seven months, but it was just so much, it was a blast. Yeah. And George Rose was brilliant, and Cleo Lane was brilliant, and... You know, and really book music do. lyrics. Mm-hmm. There, there aren't Holmes many of those is, around. Are Rupert there? Holmes is a genius. And too. orchestrated he it. He well. needs to write more shows. I know. I'd love to see more of it. Did he read his novel too? He's a good novelist. Is he? Yeah. He's written a novel. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. Now, I know you've um, entered the Theatre Hall of Fame as well. Um, how do you, Betty, how do you? I know you have a ranch um, mm. life out of the the cities and Mm -hmm. um, how do you kind of maintain yourself how do you I mean you've just come from the gym Mm. which is highly enterprising do you do you vocalize highly enterprising is that what you say (laughs) yes that's funny (laughs) highly enterprising yeah it really is it's a highly enterprising lifestyle Ed (laughs) (laughs) there you are I wanted a blast of the English accent Um, (laughs) I'll get you to do writing on the wall in a minute yeah Um, no I mean it's maintaining a, a voice is, you know, you have to, it's a muscle, you have to it's exercise hard. it. I'm surround, yeah, I surround myself with air purifiers and humidifiers and um, I have to steam. The funny thing was when I was a teenager and I would see these singers that would come to my hometown, Fort Worth, Texas, to perform at the Casa Manana where I got my start and I did several parts, you know, before I moved to New York. And they would always have like this scarf around their neck and be drinking tea and I thought they were such wusses, and I would be like, I will never be like that. I will never be so prissy about my voice. So as you can see, I'm sitting here with a towel around my neck drinking <laughs> hot tea. Well, it's a big and, sing. Uh, it's a big role. Yeah, it's um, hard. And two a day are really, really hard. Now, I was going to ask you about that. What do you feel about this, you know, because you belong to that generation, you know, real 
troupe of performers who actually gave eight shows a week and mm. always have given eight shows a week. There's a trend that's crept in now which mm. really upsets me about having alternates mm. doing two of the eight shows or even more in some cases. Mm. And there's one case in London which I won't mention names but is causing a great deal of consternation among the paying public. Well, I don't, I don't have any judgment about that because each individual's instrument is particularly their own. And... Like, right, I'm hoarse, right? You can hear me. And so I have to do a lot of steaming today. And, you know, it's it's tough. It's just very hard. It's hard. People, you know, want to see me after the show and hang out. And, you know, I've got to set a limit on that. And then they want to get together socially in the day. And I have to set a limit on that. I just, I, I can barely, in the time it takes, when you do HOs a week, Every day is about maintenance, and it's so hard to explain that to people. I don't have the energy to socialize. I don't have the energy to go out and play. That's a you good know, work, learning to maintain. It's maintenance. That's what it is. You have to, you know, and so and I have to stay strong. And so, um, so physically I must work out an hour and a half to two hours a day. And, you know, sometimes it's just an hour that I can work in. And then I have to vocalize every day and... You know, in cases of like where I'm hoarse today, I have to steam and I have to meditate and um, do all my stretches and stuff. And it's it's uh, it's like being an athlete, and you know, you have to. I think of myself as an elite athlete, basically. I'm you know I I'm one of the elite musical theater athletes, and it's it's tough. It's not an easy job at all. And there's some, you know, it's not glamorous either. <laughs> well, <laughs> there are glamorous aspects to it, like yes, opening nights and things yes. like that. But that's true yeah. of, yes, that's true of The so joy many. of doing it, the joy of doing it, I guess one can say. Well, I, you know, I've been asking myself, because also, you know, I'm older now too, and I'm like, how long will I want to continue to do this? And then when I feel that mental resistance kick in, I, in meditation, I ask myself, I said, do you... What? Why do you love this so? And I'm like, because I love this so, you know. And it's I love the music. I love being in a live experience with other performers that I adore, and listening to an orchestra give their all every night. You know, there's nothing like that. You know, being on a stage anywhere with brilliant musicians, but in the case of musical theater, with a brilliant conductor, Ian Townsend, and mm-hmm. this brilliant little eight-piece band that just like plays with such passion. You know, and then suddenly in the middle of the show, this happened a couple of nights ago, I'm suddenly there just singing away and just suddenly swept up in Jerry Herman's music and the beautiful Sarah Travis orchestrations. And I was just like, oh my God. And I just felt like I was writing Mm. this music with, and it just, you know, it's an ecstatic experience. Mm. And that's why. And then I look in the eyes of people like Annabelle Leventon and Rebecca Locke and, you know, Stuart. Price and Katie and um, you know my other cohorts and um, Paul Nicholas you know on stage and this brilliant cast just seeing their eyes every night you know having those connections and then looking into the audience eyes and seeing them be decidedly moved about a quality of a message or a quality you know quality of a song it's so topical you now know, this piece they're as well, so moved it? by it yeah. yeah you know and it, we have this like 
universal little international audience, you know, people that are Indian and Pakistani and, you know, European and, you know, from Norwegian and Sweden and London. And it's just so sweet. There's nothing like it. And to, you know, to be the quarterback on that team Mm -hmm. is just a privilege. It's Mm -hmm. a privilege. And so it's like, yeah, I want to keep doing this. And it's not easy, and it's but it's worth the work. Plus the fact that I, I think basically my personality is fundamentally lazy. Like I really like Does to... Does it ha- sound like... No, I, I really like to hang out and have coffee and ride horses. And, well, riding horses isn't lazy, but I like to play. You know, I just like to play. And... And take it easy. That's my basic personality. In fact, I've lost boyfriends based on that because, because you know, they, they're attracted to me maybe because I'm an actress. And they think, oh, they'll have some kind of dramatic encounter with this <laughs> dramatic actress. And then they discover that, in fact, in real life, I'm really easygoing. And I, I don't want any drama because that's my business. You know, I don't want any drama mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. I just want to hang out, you know, and... Have fun, talk philosophy, or, or nothing at all, you know, just take the world in. That's what I like to do. And so when I have a job like this, it forces me to be at my best, you know, because otherwise I could easily be a couch potato. <laughs> but so I like that too. I like that I'm forced. It's a discipline, know, isn't that it? That the discipline yeah. necessary to do it means I have to, be, to keep at it. I have to work. Mm. And I like to work, but if someone, it's hard for me to motivate myself to work unless someone asks me to. That's my one, one of my failings. I have others, but that's one of them. So I'm really grateful when someone asks me to do a demanding job. I'm really grateful to Jillian that she asked me to do this, and I've, I've had a brilliant time. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want it to end. It's so much fun. Well, I'm gonna let you stop talking now, yeah. and. Uh... I'm going to go in search of that Promises Promises CD. I've got to find that.